Welcome back into the mental game where this week's guest is actor Terry Crews. I, I would say suicide entered right when right when everything fell apart. That was the first time I actually seriously thought I would be better off dead. And in this episode, Terry opens up about his amazing career in Hollywood, where you've seen him in TV and movies like Brooklyn Nine-Nine, America's Got Talent, White Chicks, and much, much more. But Terry tells his powerful, emotional mental health story in an hour interview that I know you're going to love. This conversation got deep and emotional. Terry opens up about his childhood, his abusive father, finding pornography as a kid and that turning into an addiction, which led to him cheating on his wife and having suicidal thoughts, having to check into rehab. We go over a lot in Terry's mental health story, and it is a really powerful and emotional conversation that I can't wait to share with all of you. But if anyone out there is struggling with their mental health or you see somebody you love, a family member or friend, Going through a tough moment, just asking them how they are feeling can make a big, big difference or even save their life. For tools on how to help somebody going through crisis, please visit the Ohio Suicide Prevention Foundation website at ohiospf.org, and we can help everyone possible with their mental health. But now it is time for the latest episode here on The Mental Game with Terry Crews. <laughs> Welcome back into the mental game. As you can see, I have a very special guest standing next to me, or sitting next to me, I should say. <laughs> Big smile, you know him, Terry Crews from, from White Chicks, America's Got Talent, and, and just being probably one of the most infectious personalities in Hollywood. Terry, thank you so much for coming on the mental game. Thank you, Brandon. Good to be here, man. Yeah, this is something that I know you care a lot about, mental health. We're gonna get into, into your background, your career, your early life, everything that you've done in movies, TV, and, and your personal battle um, with depression, anxiety, and mental health. But the yeah. first thing I ask everyone on the mental game is what does mental health mean to them? And everyone has a different answer because it's very unique to that person, whether it's something that they've always taken care of, or maybe there was a traumatic event that made them uh, you know, take better care of their own mental health. I'll ask you the same thing though, what does it mean to you? Wow, I think for me, mental health means uh, actually being in touch with yourself. Um, you know, as men, we have the ability, almost it's, it's an advantage sometimes, mm -hmm. but we have the ability to compartmentalize, yeah. which is something where it keeps you going, it keeps you moving, doing what you're doing. You can fight a war, mm -hmm. you can do a job, you can do all these things and things will get done, but you actually are a mess later. Like you, yeah. you know, there's all of a sudden you have to, it's coming back yeah. in a big way. And when I say being in touch with yourself, it's kind of like, it's a lot of, to me, unhealthy mental health is when you never get in touch yeah like you, and then you never know what what's wrong you don't know what makes you tick you don't know why you don't know where you don't know how and this thing is coming like the, mm -hmm. the confusion the, the it's almost like you gotta settle out yeah. you know what i mean it's almost like all the chips have been played and everything mm -hmm. But when it's time to settle, it's like, oh no, you know what I mean? People yeah. are finding out they're either in the hole or mm -hmm. they're bankrupt. Yep. Or, you know, they they thought they had it together and they don't. Yep. And that was me. I feel like men specifically 
bury things, like you said, compartmentalize, and you're taught at a young age, and it's starting to change now with the younger generations, but you're taught to rub dirt on it. Yeah. Just keep going. Um, don't be weak. Like, showing emotion is weak as a man. Um, when, when were you comfortable speaking up about how you were feeling and being more comfortable being emotional? Oh, man. This wasn't... It, it had to be... I, I, I wasn't... I didn't even entered the game of sharing my emotions <laughs> until 2010. Wow. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Now, again, I, I think I've always been artistic, yeah. which is which is another thing, which is I'm left-handed, right brain. So I always saw the world a little bit differently. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Uh, and I was able to express myself artistically with painting and yeah. drawing, um, even music. You know, I practiced flute and different things. So I was able to to, t to even take a different route, yeah. which I always had people looking at me funny, but I, but I really wasn't, a lot of people have, have mistaked artistic ability with emotional ability. Mm. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's kind of like, yeah, there's a lot of guys that can sing a song and make everybody cry, and then their life is still a shambles. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's kind of yep. like, we, we know how to tap into these things. Right. But again, it's back to the fact that do you know why you're doing this? Mm -hmm. So do you know, do you understand what's happening? 2010 was the first time I actually entered therapy mm -hmm. for the first time. And I had to like, cause I, that's when I was realizing like, oh my God, like my life has fallen apart. Everything that I knew, everything I thought is now in a heap on the ground. I don't, I, everything I thought I knew was wrong. Right. You know what I mean? It was it was a matter of, you know, you think there's one day you think that, you know, the the sun revolves around the earth. And you, you and that's the way it's been. Yep. Everything proves it. Everything you could see it, it it goes around us. And then someone gives you the 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 news flash. No man, we go around the sun. Yep. And you're like, "What?" <laughs> That I'm trying to tell you, that was what happened to me. I was yeah. like, "You're kidding!" No, yep, no, because you understand that changes everything. Yep, that changes everything. Like every iota of everything. When you find out, wow, wait a minute, we go around, and all of a sudden you had to, you realize all your math has been wrong. <laughs> yep, all your, your all the presumptions, yeah. all the things you all the thought, formulas, the stories that you tell yourself. Oh, everything was wrong. But now, once you get it right, and if you keep it right, you can go to outer space. Right. Because you know. But you could never. Mm -hmm. It's like planning to go out of space, thinking that we go, you know, that uh, the sun goes around us, and <laughs> yeah. you're never going to make it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, you're going to die. In fact, yep. you're going to die trying. And that's what most men end up doing, because they deal with the knowledge that they had, and it's wrong, and they die. I give you all the credit in the world to, to, it's a hard point to get to rock bottom. I've been there myself, but when you look at yourself in the mirror and you can have all the help in the world and finally reach out to therapy, have great family and great friends, but it takes the person that you're looking at in the mirror to make that change. And, and your honesty about that journey since 2010 to now and before, I'd like to unpack that if yeah. you're willing to, because oh, yeah. your story has a lot of chapters and they're very powerful and they built you into the man that you are today. And I think your story as a child growing up in Flint mm -hmm. and watching the relationship between your parents and the anger um, you had towards your father is something that, that people deal with 
you know, all the time across the country. Um, what was your childhood like? And, and you spoke about being a joyful kid and having the art element. You weren't allowed to go to the movies no, and you wasn't. had to imagine like all these fun things that people were talking about at school. But what was your childhood like? Oh my God. Um, first of all, I had a, a father who was an alcoholic um, and a mother who was not, but she was addicted to religion. Mm -hmm. So it was two addicts in the house. Yeah. You know what I mean? One addicted to alcohol. The other one was religion. And I was in the middle. And, uh, you know, you got to understand me growing up when I was young, you know, early 70s. I mean, there really was no thing such a, you know, it wasn't called alcoholism. Like, right. You either, unless you were on the street and homeless, that's where you were. Oh, that's a wino. Yeah. But if you had a job and you were doing your thing, you weren't an alcoholic. Yeah. It was it was so early in those days. It's part you know? of society. Like just to, yeah. It was just yeah, he's coping. everybody you know, you coped with what you did. They everybody had a drink. It was no yep. big deal. That was kind of the thing. Every sitcom, everybody had a drink right after they got home from work, you yep. know. Uh and then my mother was super religious, meaning we went to a uh a church called the Church of God in Christ, and you could not do anything. I mean, I could not go to the movies, couldn't listen to secular music, no dancing, no sports, no any, I mean, everything I ended up doing with my life, right. I could not do as a kid. So um, I kind of went into myself, you know? It yeah. was one of those things, I had a lot of questions, which was got me in a lot of trouble, but, uh, I started this art ability simply because I had a huge imagination and was wondering what the world was like. I mean, people would tell me, you know, they went to the movies and they would describe the films and I would try to draw them out. Wow. Because I couldn't see them, yeah. you know. Uh, and all these things, man, I'd go, but this is another thing, is the world was always creeping in. Yeah. You know, I'd go over people's homes and they're listening to the latest music and they're listening <laughs> and they're doing, and I'm like, oh my God, and I'm seeing freedom. I'm watching like, whoa. These guys yeah. are dancing. These people are going to movies. These people are not alcohol. Like, yeah. uh, I was like, you know, I'll never forget seeing my friend's dad come home and I ran. Like, I was like, oh, hey, man, your father's coming home. And they were like, yeah, no no problem. I was like, he's coming in. Like, yeah. I was, I literally was telling my buddy, man, he's instinct. coming in the house. Yeah. And he was like, yeah, it's, <laughs> it's my father, it's my dad. I was going, and I was scared because mm -hmm. I knew when your daddy came home, get out, yeah. go, run, just be anywhere he isn't. Mm -hmm. um, these are, it was shocked to me that this man, that these kids, other, other kids were like, oh man, they actually want their father to come home. And then it created this huge like gap in my life. Like I was yeah. like, something's wrong. What am I missing? Okay, and then I just, and then I threw it all into being a good kid mm -hmm. because my thing is, especially when you become a pleaser, because yeah. my, my father's alcoholic, it was like, I just would do anything to make him happy, to make him calm, mm -hmm. to, so he wouldn't blow up. So it was like, you need another drink? What do you want me to do? And then, uh, I'll fix things, I'll do stuff, yeah. I'll, I'll, you know, I'll be a good kid, I'll sit down, I'll shut up. Yeah. And when, the, and when my mother was on the religious side, it was the same thing. Mm -hmm. Where it was like, how could I? I'll lead the, the 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 solo and the choir. I'll jump around. I'll, I'll go to church with you. I'll pray with you. I'll yep. do all this stuff. And so, but I didn't know what I wanted. Yeah, it was always about what the parents were about. So, so I kind of lost myself in them. Mm -hmm. 
And uh, it was it was horrible. And the thing for me, and I'm not being too long, is that I jumped into pornography as a kid because I had an uncle. Again, it was one of those experiences when you leave the house and I was a young kid and I probably was eight or nine years old and he had a trunk of pornography in his basement. Yeah. And I was like, I was hooked immediately. Like, cause that was something where I was, it was totally, it was like a, it was like a drink. Yeah. It was like a drug or anything else. I immediately forgot about any problems and I could escape there. Mm-hmm. Um, and I didn't even know what sex was. That's right. what's so crazy. No one ever talked about it. I didn't yeah. even know what it was, but I knew this is powerful. This is, this is incredible, man. Like, what? This is what I always wondered. This, is this the secret? This is what's going on. And and it, I got hooked, man. Mm-hmm. And I and that was my secret for years and years because I knew I couldn't talk to my father. I, to this day, I've never had a talk about sex with my father. To this day. Mm-hmm. Um, and my mother was always like, you know, don't mention sex. Are you, are you doing it? Are you doing it? And that's like, no, no, no. Yeah. So everything was condemnation. Um, so I just decided I'll keep this to me, to myself. Yeah. And it created a horrible, horrible cycle of guilt, of shame, and then a cycle of having to do more to get back, to get rid of the shame. Right. I had to be a better kid. Mm-hmm which was a cycle, you know yeah. what I mean? And it starts over You're and over yourself again, you know, over and over again. And you get a lot of shit done. Yeah. You, I'm, I'm trying to tell you, you become like a major achiever. You right. know what I mean? I was always the one like Terry does this and Terry does that. And look how talented and look yeah. at it. And I didn't mind that because it covered up what I felt inside. I felt like a dirty dog. Like, yeah, I felt like nothing. I felt uh, horrible. Um, I knew what was going on in my house. I knew mm. what was going on in myself. I do, and but I knew also. I felt like everyone else was like that because in the church, yeah, in the church that was that restrictive, man. My pastor was selling drugs out of the pulpit. Wow, this is what's so crazy because yeah, these kind of things when you're that maniacal about rules and it's like you can't follow. Yeah, you know what I mean. It's like uh. And so you learn to hide. Mm-hmm. You learn, and so even in the church, this is where a lot of problems, you know, become where people go to church and they feel like we're covering up what's really the issue. Right. Yep. And dude, it was. I mean, our, we had so many people in that church with double lives. Mm-hmm. You know, some people were gay, so and wouldn't say. Some people were dr- selling drugs. Some people were having affairs. Some people right. were doing. And no one was open about mm-hmm. anything. Like no one would talk. Yep. It was just, hey man, how are you doing? God's good. <laughs> you know. Yeah. You know, and, and you covered it up with some sort of saying, and you were a mess, a mess inside. Well, you having that experience at home with your parents and your dad being an alcoholic, your mom being very, very religious. And you having this creative juice in you that you just want to get out and experience life. And you start to, you know, dabble in certain things, friends' houses, seeing how their parents treat them. You mentioned discovering pornography and that became an addiction for you. I want to dive into that. But first, the, the, watching your father and your mother's relationship, oh. how did that scar you and hurt your mental health at, at a young age when you're learning and picking things up? Oh, easy. Um, 
Well, my early earliest memory is my father knocking my mother out. Uh, he was physically abusive, just straight up. He would, and it's wild because he didn't hit us, because my mother would kill him. Right. But my mother let him hit her, and, uh, not let. I wouldn't even say let, but she would just say, she kind of took her abuse mm-hmm. as par for the course. Yeah. You know what I mean. Um, and you got to understand too when you have people at the church who are like you should you can never divorce you know and so it became her issue yeah you know what i mean it was like you um you, you know there's something you're doing wrong if he's hitting you and dude that changed my i mean my whole framework was like okay it's a man's world and i was so scared of him man it was like you know, it's your rules, dude. And I learned that women were second-class citizens, mm-hmm. straight up. And it was, and it taught me everything I needed to know. I mean, it was just like women were not; they were just not as valuable as men were. Yeah, straight up. And everything in my life told me that. Um, and it was uh, even from in the, the way people acted on the street and. I remember, you know, having friends that were like, dude, you're supposed to have five girlfriends. I was like, what? Right. Huh? How, how do you do that? They were like, hey, you're a player. That's, you got to be a player. And I was like, so, so that, that means like five of them is worth one of us. You know what I mean? And that's how yeah, that, I equated it in my head. Right. You know, it's just, and it's all these wrong lessons, right? And dude, I was confused, but I knew, I said, I gotta win this game Mm -hmm. called life. So I had to fake it. Like I had to literally be this picture of manhood, this super manhood. Because what it is, is it's like, um, it's a a form of narcissism that you, there's there's being human, and then there's being superhuman, and, not, and what you try to get to, you got to be superhuman all the time. Mm-hmm. But you can't keep that. Right. So what happens is you fall below human. Because when you fail, now you're less than human. Yeah. And these, and the problem is, is the thing is, in reality is that you're always human all the time. But if you, but the, if the only way you exist is either above it or beneath it, you're 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 always on the wrong track. Yeah, it's a roller coaster. You know what I mean? You're yeah. seeing it when you're below it, you're worse than everybody else. Yeah. So now I I can actually put suicide in my head because now I'm less than human. Mm-hmm. And I deserve to die. I, I I don't deserve to be here. I don't deserve the good things I have. Or if you're superhuman, now you're above everybody else. I get to determine who what where. And I am the boss. I'm the one that tells, you know, what's happening in your life and his life and their life. And and it's kind of like the 80s were all about that, where if you had money, you were the king of everything. You could get people to do anything. Yeah. And, you know, it's kind of like the rules were if you had to. It's like a rules of a business is uh, became if you had the biggest bench press. 
even though it had nothing to do with the business. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know what I mean? He's like, a big badass man. Hey, like man. He, oh, he benches the mess. Okay, he's the boss. Tell us where these, you know, <laughs> where the, uh, how should we should sell these things or what, what yeah. you know, w- w- let's look at the receipts in the business. Yep. He's like, he don't know, but yep. I, I got the biggest bench. Yeah. And those guys ran everything, by the way. Yeah. And they would run you into the ground. Mm-hmm. And I realized that's the way I needed to be. And football was the way I jumped in that world because right. I was an artist, but I felt like no one was going to pay me to, to do art, but everybody's going to give me a job or I was kind of going to get money to go to scholarship or whatever to play football. Yeah. Because as an athlete, it looked at you were macho, you were superhuman. Macho man. You were immediately superhuman. Mm-hmm. So you got everything you wanted. If you were the, the biggest athlete, you got what you wanted. Yep. And, and that's where I live. I mean, that was my goal. Even as a young kid, I remember working out first because I thought I would have to kill my father. And then as I started to get muscle and get stronger, and I, the, the term I like to use when I got a little neck, mm-hmm. you know, the gang stopped messing with me. You know, I used to get beat up. Yeah. Um, Gang stopped messing with me. The drug dealers decided, well, maybe he, because they would never mess with a guy they thought could go pro or do something yeah. athletically. You mm-hmm. know, it was kind of like, all right, we'll leave him alone. Uh, and I found protection in that, and just having that. Uh, but it, but I got all the other junk that came with it. Yeah, you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. You mentioned suicide. Um, You've battled a lot throughout your own mental health journey. And when you go back, no one talked about it. You're supposed to be this macho man and not bring up your problems. You're going through, you know, the abuse that your father was doing to your mother, the abuse that you were receiving yourself from your from your father, um, trying to figure out what this addiction that you didn't know was an addiction at first yep. um, with pornography. You have so much to balance, but you feel like you can't speak up to anyone, I'm yep. sure, and the stigma with mental health, you didn't say a word. Um, did suicide ever come into your mind, and when did that happen? The heart, I, I would say suicide entered right when, right when everything fell apart. That was the first time I actually seriously thought I would be better off dead. And I remember when my wife decided to leave, and there I was, and this was the thing, man, Brandon, I was very successful yeah. at the time. Um, had done a, some bunch of movies and was doing TV and had money and was living the picture. Um, but then my personal life, it, it, it was a shambles, man. Mm-hmm. Um, there were things I never told my wife, never told anybody. Um, and I was, I was just afraid that this thing was gonna fall apart. Like it's like having something up on st- on stilts and it and you keep building it really really big, but you're looking at these stilts and they're just bending. Yeah, <laughs> you know. Yeah, you know and it's that's where go. I was. I was like, oh man, I, I knew my marriage was gonna fall at some time, and I knew this precarious little picture was going to fall over. Mm-hmm. But Hollywood didn't care about that. Right. Like. If it did, I, you know, it happens many, many times. So yeah. they were like, you know, hey man, you—they don't care that if you lose your wife and kids. They don't, they don't have. There's not a problem. In fact, we'll give you more movies. If you <laughs> right. Um, and I hated the way I was thinking like that. Like I was thinking, well, 
that's not dangerous in Hollywood. I mean, people, you know, but then I was thinking about what about me as a person? Like this mm -hmm. goes against everything I said. I was, I've told people I am. I, I, I have this story, but it's a whole nother story. It's two lives. Yeah. And I was like, I don't want to do this anymore. And I literally was just, I was, I was in the throes. And, I, and, it, and when that moment happened, I actually reached out because it was a good friend of mine. And I said, hey, man, I just lost my wife and kids. Um, and I said, dude, I'm a fake. I mean, I'll never forget. I was like, dude, I'm fake. I'm, uh, everything everyone sees is just not real. And he said, Terry, he said, I can't promise you that you're going to get your wife and family back. He said, in fact, they might be gone. He said, but I can tell you that you need to get better for you. Mm -hmm. Now, you have to understand that was a foreign concept. The fact that you had to get, I had to improve for improvement's sake. Yeah. You know, for, for my whole life, remember, I was a, I was a pleaser. Yep. So it was you do good things so that so-and-so wouldn't get mad or this and this and that. And then I learned how to do good things so I could get what I would call Scooby Snacks. So it's like there's a reward here. This is a reward here. This is where you get money. You do good. You do good. But you don't You don't mean it. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's literally like, okay, let's, you know, paint the picture so that you can get what you want. Mm -hmm. So it's very manipulative. Yeah. You know, I mean, I learned how to manipulate people. Right. But I didn't learn how to do good for goodness sake. Like there was no internal locus of control there. Yeah. It was always about manipulating people so you could get what you wanted. And um, I was like, just for me? Like, I, I don't, I've never done that. I don't understand what that means. And then that's what I knew. I said, I don't know where to go, but I've never been to therapy. And I decided to check myself in to this place. It was called Psychological Counseling Services in Phoenix. Um, and I never, I had heard about it. It, it was dealing with sex addiction. Mm -hmm. uh, but also it was my first experience was just talking my story out. Like I'd never been to therapy. And this place has dealt with big major people that have gotten major scandals. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Um, from pastors to athletes to all these people who were like had double lives. Yeah. Um, and I remember going in there and I was like, oh man, first day I was like, this ain't me, man. This is crazy. This is not me. Yep. I said, I gooped up, man. I said, this is all me. And they just kept reading my mail. And it was like, so was your father alcoholic? I was like, well, yeah, well, yeah, yeah. And said, was your mom very religious? I was like, yeah. How, how, <laughs> how'd, you know, how'd you know that? Uh, yeah. I was, and they were like, okay. And they just kept, giving me these signs and I was like yes I said oh this is me this is me and dude talk about it and what happened I like to call it the cracking of an egg because you're trying to piece it back together but there's no Just, way you can do that it's like the egg is all over it's like it's gone it's yeah like, now you're frying it by now yeah. you know what I mean um the hardest hardest thing man I just remember like I, going back to my room, because it was an intensive where you stay all day. It was like 12 hours and mm -hmm. you go back home. You go back to your hotel room. And I was like, how did I get this so wrong? Now this is the thing too, because you looked at yourself like a superhuman. Yeah. Then you're dealing with the embarrassment 
of having it that wrong. And you're dealing with that because now, you know, it's, it's very narcissistic because you think you're perfect. Right. <laughs> that you can do anything and get through anything. Yeah. And there's no like, problems. I, I, get, I had this all right. And you realize, and no, you had it wrong, all wrong. Dude. Yeah. And then I started, and it was like, what else did I have wrong? What else did I have wrong? And it, man, it's like the best way I can really describe it is, let's say you have a really filthy house. I mean filthy like you're a hoarder yeah and you got a you got a guest bathroom that gets clean just a guest bathroom and it's spotless all of a sudden you're like this house holy cow yeah you know you 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 were fine living in your mess yep it was like oh yeah you get used to your junk you could Mm -hmm. step over it you knew where the junk was yeah you know what i mean i knew where the pile of dirt was and i was like that's my pile right here you know but once that one spot is cleaned up, you realize the whole house needs to be done. Mm-hmm. In fact, for me, I realized the house needed to fall. Yeah, like it was beyond repair. It was mold in in the walls. It was. I said, I got to tear this whole house down. Yeah, and that was the beginning of my new life. Like it was totally a new a new start for me. For you, if I can dig into mm-hmm. that phone call when you call your wife um, and let her know what you had not told her, yeah. um, that is a moment that I think probably was the lowest point for you. Absolutely. And it also is the most life-changing and start to taking care of your mental health. Um, what led to that phone call and what do you remember about the emotions, the, the suicidal thought that came up and what you felt in that, in that call? Oh yeah. Well, first of all, I, I, it was wild as, you know, as an actor, you know, I, I was in Vancouver like 10 years earlier than that phone call. So I just started in 2000 mm-hmm. and, you know, I was nervous and scared and, and the way I always dealt with that was porn. Um, and what was crazy is that, you know, I spent my time in Vancouver and then porn wasn't enough, you know, that, cause that's the thing you get that, you know, you put that in your life, all of a sudden, you know, you, you begin to act things out. Right. And I told myself I was getting a massage and the whole thing. And I ended up with a massage with a masseuse and cheated on my wife for the first time. And I said, okay, I'm going to go to my grave with this. Like, I don't believe I crossed this line, but I will never tell. Like, again, a lot of the things that I'd already done, I said, you know, Mm -hmm. I'm going to be private. But this one was like, holy cow, I crossed this line. And what was wild is that my wife was always suspicious. Yeah. You know, and I'd start arguments to basically get out of it. Like, what what do you mean? You know, there's ways... I knew to be very manipulative yeah. in order to not be questioned anymore, start arguments. And she's like, fine, whatever. I'm all right. What, you know? And so I had it. It was my secret and I kept it secret. And then I'll never forget because what, but what happens though, every time something like that happens and every time you use pornography, I got one step away from my marriage more and mm-hmm. more. It was like putting a brick. Yeah. It's like uh, again, I would uh, I would really compare it to any other drug. 
Um, you know, if you're if you you're using every time you do, you're one step away from the people who love you. Yeah. Um, every drink puts you one step away from those who love you. Mm-hmm. Uh, and for me, it was the same thing with porn. And I said, and we were just getting farther and farther apart. Like I I didn't I couldn't see us being married at, to this spot. Like, yeah. It was just. When is it going to happen? Not if, it's just when. Yeah. And dude, um, we were arguing on the phone and I'll never forget, there was a moment when I was just tired. I was just like, I knew who I was. Cause I knew, you, you, know, you know, you're lying. You live with it. It's, it's, see, the question is, it's, it's, the question I used to always ask, which was crazy is that I would go, why doesn't she believe me? You know, and I always put it on her. Like, why don't yeah. you believe me? But everything changed when the question became, why am I lying? That's a whole different yep. perspective. Now it's me, you know? Yeah. And I was looking at her like, eh, it was, you, you, you know, you should be, it was, all, it was great because you could always blame and push. And, yeah. And there was that moment on the call when I, I was like, am I thinking of another lie? I said, I can't, I'm done thinking up lies. Like there was, no, it was not another lie to think up. Yeah. She kept questioning me mm-hmm. and she was like something. She said, and the, I'll never forget. She said, what is it? I don't know about you, Terry Crews. Like she went right there. Uh, it was the perfect question. Cause it was either I'm going to lie about this or I'm going to tell the truth. And I told her about what happened in Vancouver. This is what you don't know about me. And I thought, and it was so weird as I thought, see, we cool now. Oh. <laughs> you gotta understand, like that's yeah. how deluded you could be. Because I'm like, that was a long time ago. She was like, but for her, it happened 30 seconds ago. Mm-hmm. And she was like, I'm out, I'm done. I was like, what are you talking about? Because I feel like, but the, another thing I could manipulate you by the money, yeah. the life. But my wife didn't care about that. You know what I mean? She's like, she never cared about any of that stuff. Yeah. That was all me. That was all my little man world. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. She was like, I'm I'm never been with you. I married you and you were broke. You had nothing. Loved you. And if we continue to have nothing, I still would have loved you. Right. Like somewhere you thought that was a game changer. It's not. But this is. Yeah. This, you're not being honest. You're not being loyal. You, you really, you're lying to me all these years. And, um, and I knew I lost it. I knew it was over. It was crushing. Dude, when I say crushing, I'll never, it, it, it was a darkness that I can't describe. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It was like the world closed in and, it, um, and I fell in a hole. And the only way I could have got out was if somebody reached out. And that was my call for help. Yeah. And I, I, it's an emotional journey when you get to the rock bottom moment. Um, and you can either crash and burn. And for, you know, for me, we were talking before we started rolling. I was suicidal for months. And it got to a point where and I've used alcohol for a long, long time to cope. Um, 
I, I still, I don't know if I was an alcoholic, but now I look back and I was addicted to that buzz. Uh, today, when we're recording this, actually marks eight months sober, which is like, oh my, oh my. yeah, brother. thanks, brother. Um, it's just crazy to me that you, you, you talk about your porn addiction that you just go to this and it's your coping mechanism, and then you have that crash and burn moment. And it's either you can do two things. You can crash and burn, or you can take a step no matter how uncomfortable it is. You checked in. I've done the same thing. Those first two days, I had no want to be there. I didn't open up. I didn't say anything. Yeah. And I'll never forget when one of the therapists in these classrooms, I don't know how yours was, but we mm -hmm. talked to therapists, psychiatrists, and then you had these group classes. Mm -hmm. where yep. you, Yep, same thing. Yeah, we had them. Yeah, and you yep. have people of every age, every background, every color. Yep. Every, like it is, but we all have one thing in common. We have an addiction or we don't want to be here. We're, we're depressed and suicidal. And someone asked me, why aren't you opening up, Brandon? And I said, you know, I've always been emotional. I've just, always, you know, I, I just don't want to be a bitch and excuse my language. But I, I, I said that and the therapist stopped me. She said, that's the problem right there. That's the stigma with mental health, especially men's mental health. Yeah. I had no idea. I thought that's just who I am. And once I realized that and that I could open up more, and I've had the same conversation with uh, Ricky Williams. He had yeah, the same, he had the yeah. same re re revelation of, you know, he was, uh, you know, kind of a bitch and was overly emotional. Yeah. Guess what? There's nothing wrong with that. And as soon as you look at yourself in the yep. mirror and start making that change and you did it and when you checked in and you had to work on yourself, your marriage, your <laughs> career, but when you take control of it, it, it's a grind and it's a struggle but you have to do that if you want to be truly happy with yourself. You know, it, you know what's funny is that uh, once you overcome that, you know, it's it's funny because you know people still call me a bitch to this day. <laughs> you know, when I came, you know, it's funny when I came forward. <laughs> I'm not going to say that because I don't no, want you. To, I don't want you to hit me. <laughs> uh, no, but but it's funny you say that because you know when I came forward um, about you know me my sexual assault. Mm -hmm. You know, it's a lot of people are like Terry Crews is a bit. Look at his big old muscular. How could he get assaulted? He's a, he's a bitch, and he's isn't it? And they still say that, like to this day. But dude, I I feel so relieved. Like, like that was one of the best things I ever did. Mm -hmm. But it was because of the ten years of counseling. Yeah, and and therapy that allowed me to open up, to to realize that wait a minute, man, I'm just human, mm -hmm. and there were and this is another thing that blew me away when I said it, and I came forward, there were so many men, I mean, you're talking wrestlers at Ohio State, you're talking football players from the pros to college, they all came for there people were I, I had to say hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of men came forward to say hey man I got molested when I was eight I got molested last year mm -hmm. this guy you know I get this I was at my job and this guy grabbed me and I was like what and, he, and, and, and this is what's so crazy is because you put it out of your head like it didn't happen yeah no I'm too manly for that to happen mm -hmm. but I had to acknowledge no, no, that happened to you. That was you. Mm -hmm. And the thing is, is that people were like, well, Terry, let this thing happen. And I was like, no. Just like my mother never didn't let herself get abused. It's just these things are like straight bullets. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, did you, if someone's firing, just shooting an AK-47, 
and you get hit in the shoulder, did you let yourself get hit? No. 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 Dude, this hit me. I I did the talk with Dak Shepard. He was like, look, it's not your fault. It's not your fault. But it is your responsibility. Mm -hmm. That bit hit me so hard. it's It's not your fault. But it is your responsibility to do something about your situation, about what happened to you. Because that's all we can do. Yep. Dude, it's, oh my God, dude. It's, it's, but so it's so when I hear people go, ah, yeah, you know, a lot of times it's online because they don't say this stuff to my parents. <laughs> right. I'm not saying it to your face no, sitting no, next I, to you. I know but, that. But again, I don't mind it. I don't mind it. Yeah. Um, it's just part of the part for the course because that is the thing that keeps people in a hole. Yep. Imagine if we fell in a hole and you have no way out. And if you yell for help, someone's going to call you a bitch. So what happens is people die in the hole mm-hmm. and they never come out. I mean, you get skeletons. You fall out, you're down there with skeletons who never said a word because they didn't want to be called a bitch. Yep. Or be called less than manly. And dude, I'm like, help. If you go to war, people say help. Mm-hmm. And they get out of the pit and there's not one thing. This is the only way you're going to survive. But remember, it's about being superhuman. As yep. a man, you have to be more than human. Yep. So I'm not, I realize my humanity involves me yelling for help. Have you noticed somebody in your life recently just not being themselves? Maybe you notice that they're sad or angry or not hanging out with your family or friends as much as they usually do. They might be struggling with their mental health and going through crisis right now, and you can help them. If you want to learn more about how to be a suicide prevention advocate, you can find resources and tools at the Ohio Suicide Prevention Foundation website, ohiospf.org. Again, ohiospf.org. You've heard Terry and I talk about this with both of our mental health stories in this episode. You can't do it alone. And talking about our mental health can help you or somebody that needs to hear it. I mean, that's how we help each other in these tough moments when we're feeling anxious, when we're going through those tough moments, struggling with depression or even suicidal thoughts. I promise the more that we talk, the more we can help each other. You've heard Terry and I talk about it throughout this entire episode, and that's exactly what we want to help with at the Ohio Suicide Prevention Foundation because together we can help each other with our mental health. I tell people two things with mental health, and I'm not a therapist, not a psychologist. I've Me lived, neither. I, I've lived through depression, anxiety, addiction, had a check-in because I was suicidal. Number one, do something. I, I don't care if it's call your mom, call your best friend, call yep. your therapist. Please just do something. And number two is feelings are temporary. Yes. And I never would have believed that wow. when I sat there on, on the edge of a bridge, drunk, thinking about jumping off, or, or those nights, you know, thinking about laying down in traffic. I, I wrote a goodbye letter sober one day and took a bunch of pills and prayed not to wake up. I, I had this for months and months. I never would have believed that. But look at where you can go. Look at where you're at 10 plus years later yeah. from your rock bottom. I'm about a year and a half fr- from where I was in that moment. And those feelings are temporary. It will pass. But you have to put in the work, like you've said, yeah. this entire time. If I can, I, I want to flip the script a little bit with our final 10 minutes here mm-hmm. with just how you are taking care of your mental health now, where therapy has been a constant thing for you. Oh, you're, yeah. you you're, I know your wife's working on the other side 
of this yeah. wall right now and her business yeah. here that you guys got in LA together. Yeah. Um, how do you take care of your mental health now? Oh my God. Um, constantly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I am all, first of all, I, there's never underestimate the power of reading. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, there've been so many books, so many like gems that I've gotten over the years. I mean, through audio books and listening podcasts yeah. like this. Mm -hmm. uh, but also, you know, I continue, my wife and I continue to go to counseling. We continue to see people. We continue to talk to people. Um, and then there's another thing where you become, you know, you don't really know something until you're good enough to tell it or to talk about it. Mm -hmm. I, I began to talk a lot. Yeah. Um, and I, what's weird is even today, even doing this today is part of my therapy. It's like by looking back and unpacking different moments, different things, I learn a little bit more about myself every time I talk. Yep. Um, because you have to be able to explain it. You know what mm -hmm. I mean? Um, and then also it, to watch other people get help. It's mm -hmm. like, you know, to hear those people come forward and go, dude, I, my father was an alcoholic. I was in this super religious stuff. I was addicted to porn. I want to stop. I, I remember um, one of my big things, this was early, this was probably around 2012, maybe 2013, I did a thing called Dirty Little Secret where I had Facebook Live. This was mm -hmm. back in the day. And I put a post out that basically told about my pornography addiction. And this is early, like, yeah, it was like 2011, like a year into therapy and stuff. And people flipped. You got to understand. Yeah. Flipped. Different time. No one. Was, they were like, what? Uh, Good Morning America, Today Show, uh, CBS This Morning. They all wanted me on the next day. People flipped out. All the people that I worked with, um, Old Spice was literally, they were like, I think we got to let him go. Oh, my God. He's admitting to something that's heinous. This this crazy. Yeah. And I just, the reason is, is, I said, hey, man, if anyone else is going through something like this. I just had to let you know you're not alone. And let's talk about this stuff. Mm -hmm. Dude, what was so crazy is that I remember the guys, and this is to their to their benefit, to their, I have to give them props for this because Procter & Gamble was like, wait a minute, he didn't do anything wrong. He's just saying what he's been through. I said, no, no, we're not firing him. In fact, he's he's good with us. And they let me know. You, you got to understand. It was so powerful because mm -hmm. it was a moment where they were like, we can't have him as a spokesperson because, uh, but it's like, no, no, he's admitting to something. Uh, he's being human. Yep. Then all the people started. Going. And then I remember telling all the morning shows, I was like, it's on Facebook Live. Just play that. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, I don't have to go back and now go on these shows and do all this stuff. Yeah. But, um, those moments let me know I wasn't alone. And that's that's the trick. The trick to a lot of these, I think, suicidal thoughts and thoughts of self-harm is, is a thought that you're all by yourself, mm -hmm. that no one's there with you. And it's a lie. 
and it's a trick. But when you really reach out and realize, wait a minute, yeah, there's a whole bunch of people. This is why I, I always say social media is so, it's wonderful and dangerous at the same time yeah. because with kids and teenagers, they're trying to discover their way and all of a sudden you get a lot of negativity, mm -hmm. but you got to find the positive. Right. And that's the problem is it's overwhelming and you, you got to, it can mess with your head, you know? But for me, I found the positive and I found the people who helped me get out of this hole. Yep. Well, and you saying you're not alone in realizing that, that is yep. the most powerful thing with mental health. It's exactly why I started this show. Exactly. To help people that feel the same as you and I did. And you mentioned social media. That's the whole reason why we're sitting here. You commented on, I had, right. Nate, I had Nate Burleson on. That's right. And you commented on that episode. And I'm yep. like, all right, let's figure out how to get Terry on here and talk about mental health. And I knew I had to do it. I, I First of all, I, I was so cool. Just It was so cool to to see you and Nate talking about this stuff. And I just had to, I couldn't hold back. It was like, go guys, go like, yes. Well, thank you. You Th know what I mean? And, um, and, and it's so powerful because mm -hmm. I had, I had to encourage you because it was like, no man, every time someone is willing to talk about this stuff, it breaks down another brick. Remember every time you use you're you're putting a brick up. Yep. But every time we talk, pulling a brick down. Yep. You know, and, mm -hmm. and I just decided, pull these bricks down, man. Pull these walls down. And you're going to get teased. People, Some people are going to not understand. Yeah. But, dude, you know how many people do? Yep. Like, Same the people as you. who do are way more than the people who don't. Right. I mean, you're able to help so many people just by telling your story because relatability is one of the biggest things with mental health. So, one, thank you for coming on. I have... A couple more questions for yeah. I want to get into some fun, some fun stuff here too. Mental health is fun, but I want to get into some of your career. Um, I saw you at the Rams game two weeks ago. Uh, yeah, yeah. Of course, they got you on the big screen singing <laughs> the famous song from White Chicks. Um, do you have a favorite moment from from your career? Favorite um, part that you've played? I mean, I think I, I love the Longest Yard. Like I'm, I just <laughs> such a fun character. Oh. But, but but between that, White Chicks, America's Got Talent. I mean, you've got to do, do a lot of cool things. Plus your NFL career. I mean, yes. is there something you can point to that's like this is my moment? Actually, it's like trying to pick out a favorite child. Can't do it. Some parents do it, I, and I, I would <laughs> never do that. I have all. I love all my kids. <laughs> There's the answer. Uh, and, but this is the deal. Like some, my son got famous. Like he had a TV show. Yeah. And I have another daughter who's quietly doing her dream. Is one better than the other? No. No. Not at all. You know yeah. what I mean? It's like as long as they're living their best life. That's. I look at that for every project. Like, I got little projects that didn't do anything, but I love to death. Yeah. That I'm like, man, I'm so glad I did that. And then I have big, giant things that I'm like, that, was, that went pretty good. Yeah. And I love them the same. And I have to tell you, it's, it's funny because cause people do know you more from certain things. Mm -hmm. But I am the accumulation of everything I've been through. Right. From every part, everything. I love The Longest Yard. The Longest Yard got me Everybody Hates Chris because mm -hmm. I worked with Chris Rock. And then it got me all those movies with Sandler. Yep. And then all those movies with the Wayans. And then all the, and it got me Brooklyn Nine-Nine mm -hmm. with from Idiocracy and President Camacho and Jumping. I mean, everything I, first of all, every iota of my career 
and this is the, I made this a rule, is I don't do anything for money. I only do it for the satisfaction of doing it. And the money, I let the money take care of itself. Yep. That's the thing. So I love what I'm, if I'm doing it, mm -hmm. I promise you I love it. Because there's no way. AGT is one of the most satisfying jobs I've ever had. Because you're giving dreams away. Dude, I would put that on, I can't pick which one is my favorite. Right. Because it's all wonderful. It's part of this wonderful. It's so fun to watch. Becoming. You see what I mean? Because yeah. that's what I'm doing. I'm, Terry Crews is never there. It's the journey. You're becoming. Yep. I'm becoming something. I don't know what my next iteration is going to be, mm -hmm. but I'm loving every bit of what I'm doing. I'm loving it. You can tell that too. The big smile helps, yeah. but you are genuinely happy with everything that you do. And I'm sure the mental health side of things, being true to yourself, going to therapy, working on yourself, makes it even more enjoyable these last 10 to 15 years. Um, last thing I want to ask you, unless there's something you want to add, uh, I always ask people to give advice for someone that wants to follow in their footsteps. So if there is a young actor, actress, somebody that wants to get here in Hollywood or maybe is in school in New York and has those big dreams of, of doing movies and TV, what would you tell someone that, that has those dreams? Well, one thing I, I would really love to, I would love to say is um, figure out what you want. And this is, it sounds simple, mm -hmm. but it's, it's wild because what you want changes. Yeah, you know what I mean. You're you're you five years in, and some people have become lawyers and be like, "I don't want this." You know what I mean? Right. And it's like you realize you've been doing stuff for your parents the whole time. Yeah. You realize you've been doing something for somebody else. You're trying to do this to get girls. You've been trying to do this, but but you didn't ever want. You never wanted that, right, dude? You gotta understand. I spent years just writing down what it is I wanted. What do I want? What do I want? And that determines who you become. When you want good things, when you want, see, because there are things I realized that I wanted because I was selfish, because mm -hmm. I was narcissistic. Yeah. And I realized I didn't want that anymore. And then I, when I wanted the right things, it made me a better person. Yeah. I want to be the best husband that has ever walked the earth. <laughs> you know what I mean? I want my wife to look at me. Let me tell you, the, the number one thing I want, period, is my wife to look at me and be like, I'm so proud of who he is. That's my man. Mm -hmm. And he is he is the best husband I could have ever possibly had. See, that changes all the goals. Yep. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And when I tell young actors or anyone's trying to get in this biz, whatever, what do you want? Like, figure it out. Because if you figure that out, everything comes with it. Everything. Yeah. Um, and I think that it's wild because if people have the wrong goals and they haven't figured out what they want, you get, someone else is going to put that in you. Mm -hmm. they'll, they'll make one for you. Right. If you don't do it yourself, all of a sudden Hollywood tells you what you want. Well, and you, that's crazy. It is crazy. It's a crazy <laughs> business. You've had a crazy successful career. Terry, thank you so much, brother, for coming oh, on The Mental Brandon, Game. Thank you so much. It means a lot man. to me. I know this is going to help a lot of people. And we'll see everybody right back here next week on The Mental Game. Thank you. 
And I can't thank Terry enough for really opening up here on The Mental Game with me about his own mental health, those suicidal thoughts, and tough moments in his life. And for everyone at home watching and listening, Terry Crews is exactly that same charismatic, fun-loving, great person you see in your TV and movies. It is such a cool experience for me to get to sit down with him for an hour and talk mental health. I can't thank Terry enough for coming on The Mental Game that was no doubt my biggest and favorite interview so far. Next week on The Mental Game, it is another surprise guest, and it's another big one. I'm bringing one of the biggest rappers in hip-hop to The Mental Game. You will see that right back here next week on The Mental Game. <laughs>